It's a pleasure to have each and every one of you with us this morning. Go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Proverbs this morning as we continue in our series that we've entitled The Seven Deadly Sins. And up to this point, uh, we've addressed three of them, pride, envy, and last week, uh, gluttony. I was at a wedding reception yesterday where some of our uh, church uh, folk were at, and uh, there was a beautiful buffet, and everybody was struggling remembering last week's uh, sermon until they saw me at the buffet line, and then they felt just fine. So, so this has been a great, great series for us to really take stock in, in who we are and, and what we're doing and, and being reintroduced anew as Christians with regards to our fight against sin and the insidious nature that sin has and plays in our life uh, where it can be subtle, it can be uh, find ways to infiltrate uh, our lives. And so each and every week we're wanting to look at uh, a different one of these sins that the early church said were the source of all sins and all infractions. And it was a way uh, for the early church that did not have written Bibles at the time uh, to remember uh, some of their fight against sin and how to not only fight against it but find victory uh, in Christ Jesus through his death, burial, and resurrection. And today uh, we deal with uh, an issue that's a little different than uh, the first three we've dealt with. In each of the first three, uh, we have told you don't do this or stop doing this particular sin. Uh, this week we're going to tell you you need to start doing something, okay? Because we're going to talk on the subject of laziness uh, this morning. Uh, a subject matter that a lot of us, quite frankly, on a Labor Day weekend don't want to think about. Uh, during this summer, I had the opportunity to speak at a family camp and, and uh, talk about being a vicious speaker at the family camp. During a week of vacation, I challenged the people not to be lazy. And uh, today I'm going to draw from some of what I taught them and, and share with you this morning on what it means to be productive individuals and not to be, the, as my grandma used to say, an old lazy bones uh, who was not productive but seeing that God himself is a creative and active God in good works and that we are called to imitate him, then we cannot, we cannot fall to the sin of laziness. We're going to be in Proverbs chapter 6 this morning. Proverbs chapter 6. And if you don't have a Bible with you, grab that Bible in the pew rack or in the chairs and you can find our passage on page 530. Page 530. And uh, we'll, let's go ahead and look at that passage of Scripture. We'll read it. I'll ask for God's blessing on our time, and then we'll jump right in and learn about this subject and this sin that the early church called the sin of sloth or the sin of laziness. Proverbs chapter 6, starting in verse 6, it goes like this. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler... She prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Let's stop there. Father God, we come before you and we thank you for this proverb. This theology, if you will, dressed up in workmen's clothes. An ability for us to look at the natural world, something as small and, and seemingly as insignificant as an ant, and yet learn so much about productivity, learn so much about um, our calling as, as human beings, and even more importantly as believers, not to be lazy. But Lord, laziness is a subtle sin. It's a sin that uh, for many, uh, including uh, the speaker this morning, can fall prey to without even knowing it. And so I ask that you would open our hearts and our minds to this issue of laziness, this issue of sloth, so that we might be productive and live vital and vibrant lives for you. Teach us this morning through your word we ask. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, there's something about each of these sermons that makes it a great temptation to look down the aisle at the person sitting in the pew or the chairs beside you and say, this is a great sermon for so-and-so. Uh, for many of us as parents, right away, uh, we'll look to our children and say, sloth, uh, sluggardness, if you will, or laziness. Boy, I hope my teenager's listening. 
Uh, they really need to hear this, but I want to remind you that the issue of laziness, the issue uh, that we'll talk about, the way of the sloth, or the way of the sluggard, as the Bible speaks of it, is a message we all need to hear. It's a message that should resonate in all of our hearts because we live, quite frankly, in a lazy world. Uh, I uh, don't spend a lot of time on Pinterest, but Amanda said, you know, Pinterest may have some ideas with regards to laziness. And I went to the website and I found some of these things that describe us. Lazy rule. Can't reach it. You don't need it. Okay, let's see the next one. Organized people are just too lazy to look for things. Amen. Some of you got that. I was going to do something today, but I haven't finished doing nothing from yesterday. That's going to define some of your weekend uh, I'm very busy doing things I don't need to do in order to avoid doing anything I actually am supposed to be doing. That's true. I'm sorry for my repeated check-ins at the gym uh, that remind you of how lazy you are. I've got some friends on Facebook that are that way. They just remind me how lazy I am. If there was an award for laziness, I'd probably send someone to pick it up for me. You call me lazy, I call it selective participation. It's pretty good. I'm not lazy. It's a good one. I'm just on my energy saving mode. Of course, Nike says just do it, but our lazy world says let's just do it tomorrow. Lazy people fact three five four six three zero nine eight two one zero. Oh, you know what? We were too lazy to even read the number. Rabbits jump and they live for eight years. Dogs run and they live for fifteen years. Turtles do nothing. And they live for 150 years. Lesson learned. We can close in prayer, right? Yeah. You know, our world is a lazy world. We believe that it's okay for us to uh, be lazy. And here's the thing I want to, again, be careful with. As we look at the subject of laziness, please understand that I am not putting on trial times of rest and relaxation for those who work hard. We know from the scriptures that God worked six days very hard and then he rested on the seventh day. There's nothing wrong with that. You should not feel guilty when you uh, take a nap. You shouldn't feel guilty when you've worked hard and you take some time as a family to go on a vacation or time uh, off. That's not what I'm talking about. What the issue of laziness or the issue of sloth that the early church talked about was an idea that comes from the scriptures itself. You see, there's an allure to us to not fulfill the calling uh, that God has given us. The book of Proverbs describes the lifestyle and characteristics of a lazy person and says that we are not called to be slow uh, or uh, those who simply are not active in what God has called us to. The Bible says a lazy person is a sluggard. That's a word we don't use very often. And it's defined as a spiritually or emotional apathetic person who neglects what God has spoken and is being physically and emotionally inactive. It goes on and it can, it can be defined as either an outright refusal or merely a carelessness in the performance of one's obligations especially with regards to spiritual, moral, or legal matters. It can indicate a wasting of uh, uh, time or a wasting of resources due to the lack of use. It concerns a person who's unwilling to do what it takes for proper maintenance of one's life, the refinement of an individual, or the support to help others to continue to exist. Now some will say, listen, how, how important it is, is it as a Christian that I'm not a lazy person? I mean, really, it doesn't hurt anybody if I'm lazy, right? I'm only affecting myself. Well, I want you to recognize this morning that there are four areas where our laziness can impact the lives of those around us. When we are given to laziness, we will allow ourselves the possibility of falling into financial issues. Financial issues. Listen, if you're lazy and you uh, procrastinate and don't pay your bills, okay? Well, what will happen? They'll start turning things off on you, right? They'll say, you know what? We don't know what you're doing over there at 410 Prairie View Lane, but if you're not going to pay your bills, we're going to shut off the gas, we're going to shut off the lights, uh, we may put an eviction sign uh, on your house because if you don't keep active in paying your bills and doing what you're supposed to, 
and then we're going to start taking things away from you. And so laziness can impact the financial integrity of a home. The second thing that it can do, and this is important for us to remember as kids you begin school again, is laziness can, can also uh, cause you to start flunking in school. And what happens is, is you're given assignments, and you're lazy, and you say, you know what, I'd rather go out and play, I'd rather go out and hang out with my friends instead of doing the work, the obligation that I've been given. And the teacher says, listen, uh, this is not uh, come as you are, do as you want, this is school. And when I assign a project, when I assign a paper, when I assign some homework to be done, and you're too lazy to do it, the teacher is not going to say, you know what, that's all right, you're, you're, you're plenty smart, we all recognize that, we'll just continue to move you along. No, they'll say, listen, you're not fulfilling the work that you've been called to do, and because of that, instead of seeing A's and B's and maybe even C's, you're going to see D's and F's. And that's going to cause you some great consternation, uh, maybe when you're not promoted to the next class, or maybe you struggle to even graduate. It can cause problems in our education. Laziness can also cause problems within the family. It can cause fiascos to take place, in fact, in the, in the family. As a father, if my job is to provide for my family, is to uh, lead my family, if I'm not doing that, someone else is going to fill the gap. Someone else is going to stand in, in my place. And the question is, uh, am I living out the calling command and the obligations I have? When I grew up as a kid, we used to sing in children's church a song, and I, I don't remember what the title was. I was racking my brain to try to remember it. But one of the verses in the song talked about how everybody in the church, or I'm sorry, in the family needed to be active. And it, and it talked about daddy mowing the backyard, mommy making the bed, my brother cleans the playroom, I see the dog gets fed. And it talks about the roles that each of us play, that we are called not to uh, be lazy, but even the smallest of tasks, every one of us within the family have a job to do. And so dads out there, you are called to provide and to take care of your family, to lead them spiritually, emotionally. Moms, you're there to help nurture the family and to uh, see to it that the house is a, a place of order and comfort and love and and all of the good things that a family needs in the home. Kids, depending on your age, you've got a calling. First of all, your calling is very simple. Obey mom and dad. And so whatever mom and dad tell you what to do, uh, they are uh, to be done, and to be done not in a lazy manner, but in a manner that's fitting unto the Lord. And so when the family is lazy, the family will find itself being put in all manner of craziness that does not honor God. The final place that we see laziness cause problems is that it will allow us to start failing in our spirituality. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, and maybe you've fallen prey to this American heresy, that all I need to do is pray a prayer, and, uh, and once I walk down the aisle and do a couple of special spiritual things, then I'm in. And I don't have to do anything from that point on. There's nothing more than I have to do. I can live how I want. I can uh, spend my time how I want. I can spend my money how I want. Uh, I don't really owe anybody anything. I've got my fire insurance out of hell. I'm good to go. The Bible makes it clear we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And work means each and every day, just as you go to work to provide for your family, spiritually we go not to work for our salvation, but to work out that salvation, the salvation that's been freely given by grace through faith, we are to work it out fully recognizing that we have a responsibility in the process of sanctification, becoming more like Christ. And so every day we make a decision that we are going to honor God in how we speak. We're going to honor God in how we spend our money. We're going to honor God in the way we use our time. And so if we don't do that, if we're lazy... Don't give ourselves to the reading of God's Word. Don't give ourselves to the important things of being a part of a church community. Then we will begin to fail spiritually, missing out on the blessings that God has for us. And so, four ways that we are called to not be given to laziness because it will not only impact ourselves in our own lives, but it will impact others as well. You see, the Bible makes it abundantly clear that God has created us as stewards. 
Throughout the scripture, we are called to be good stewards of uh, the resources God has given, of the time and life that God has given to us. And on the day of judgment, you and, and your laziness and my laziness will be brought before us by a holy and righteous God. And God's going to say, what did you do with that 70 years or that 80 years or that 40 years that I gave you? Were you productive? Did you use all your time and opportunity to serve me and to serve the gospel? Or were you lazy? Were you given to all manner of other things? Well, the Bible makes it clear this morning that laziness is unbecoming of a Christian. The idea of being a sloth or a sluggard is unbecoming for the child of God. And here's a couple reasons why. Notice point number one this morning. Laboring dates back to the beginning of time. Laboring dates back to the beginning of time. For all of human history, we have been a people given to work, both for a living and also for our well-being. I'll write this down in your outlines this morning, Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. We don't need to go there. I'll tell you uh, the story. Of course, uh, we begin within the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And we see that God uh, did a great deal of creating, a great deal of laboring. And because God is to be our model, then we are called to be just like Him. And a couple of things that we learn from the creation story is that, first of all, our Creator wasn't lazy. Our Creator wasn't lazy. The first attribute, besides the et eternality of God, that God is an eternal creature, in the beginning God, that tells us God was there before the beginning of time, and He will always be there. He's an eternal uh, uh, being. We need to recognize that the first truth we learn about this eternal being is He's a working God. He is not a lazy God. He's a God who created now, this is what you need to understand. The first picture we get of God is not a lounging R&R &R type of God, but a working one. He was a God who enjoyed creating. As he created things, he would say, it's good. This is great. He enjoyed the opportunity he had to be able to create things and to begin to bear, uh, if you will, the, the imprint of his creative hand all over the world. And so we look to the created world, and what do we see? God did not just create one or two things. He created billions of things. You look to uh, our earth, and you see all of the manner of plant and animal life, the, the uh, rock structures that he's created, the whole uh, atmosphere that he's created for us to have life and breath. And we sit there and say, wow, that's a God who really took a great liking to the work that he was putting together. We take our telescopes and we look as far as we can into the galaxies. And what do we learn? With all of our telescopes, as far as we can see, we just learn that there's more star and more space out there. God created an immense, farther than, than we could ever imagine, immense amount of space. Then we take the microscope. And we look down to the things that we can't see through the naked eye. And we begin to see things that we've never seen before. And God himself created all of that. We look at the human body. And we're amazed that there are 7 billion people on this earth. And none of us look the same or are the same individual. He did not copy a bunch of copies of another. What he did was uniquely formed us and made us unique, unique from all others. God wasn't, uh, wasn't lazy in his creation. And as he announces that everything's good, he, he shows us the great joy we can have in being productive, enjoying the fruits of our labor. As a Christian, it is very clear for us that if we are to model who God is, then it is unbecoming for any of us as Christians to show any laziness whatsoever. Notice what, what we see next. God completed the task before him. So he's not lazy, he's creative. And he, cre he completed the work that was before him. Some years ago, uh, uh, Amanda and I made the decision we were going to add an addition onto our house, an addition that would allow us to do hosting like we did for the volunteer appreciation night that we had last Sunday. 
And I remember uh, we wanted the, the project to be done uh, for Christmas uh, morning. And our team of, of workers and contractors, they hit it out of the ballpark. It was all done. The inside looked beautiful. But if you remember a couple of years ago, we, we right after Christmas fell into what we call, and I know it's going to freak you out, the polar vortex that's coming, remember? The polar vortex, 25 below zero. And the problem was, is while the inside was done, painted, carpeting in, everything was working, the outside had uh, Menard's Tyvek on it, okay? And I remember talking with one of my um, neighbors in the month of February or March, okay? So we've gone from December, now we're January, February, March, three months after when I thought the project was done. And the neighbor said, uh, uh, how's the new place? I said, I'm so glad it's done. He said, hey, 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 wait a minute. He says, it's not done. He says, it better not be done. He says, I don't want to look out my window and see the words Tyvek on the side walls. He says, it's not complete. And you see, part of us, our laziness is, as long as it works for us. When I was sitting watching my television in a warm room with carpeting and painted walls and all of that, I didn't have to think about the outside. But the problem was, is the project wasn't complete. And we can fall prey to thinking, well, the project's done. How many projects do we have in our lives that are, are good enough right now that we can live with them, but they're not really done? They're not really complete. Now, this is where going back again to God and seeing what God has done should convict our hearts. Think about for a moment that when you look at creation, as you look at what God has created, you don't look to a world that's incomplete, Right? You don't look to the moon tonight and and see what we saw in the movie Star Wars, a half-completed Death Star, right? You don't sit there and go, well, God's working on it. You know, it's still buffering, if you will, and He'll get it done when, when He's good and ready, still waiting on some things. No, it's a completed moon. It's a completed sun. We don't look at our bodies and think, you know what? It sure would be nice to have a right arm, but I'm waiting for God to finish the body. No, he He finished it. He made us complete. He didn't leave us with something lacking. He gave us what we needed to go through life. He did not leave things unfinished. And what we need to recognize, if we're going to imitate the modeling of God, that when we take on a project, when we say we're going to do something, that we bring it to full completion. Now I want you to notice something. In the creation process... Nowhere does it say that someone had to tell God, hey, let's get on with this. You know, hey, when are you going to finish this creation thing? No, he completed it. He never had to be told, you know, it's time to get up, God. It's time to get up and and do this work. No, he was active in his creation because the Bible says that God, one of his attributes, it is utter faithfulness in all manners. Therefore, God never calls in sick. God never asks for an extension. God never asks for an exemption. In fact, when the Bible talks about our salvation, the Apostle Paul in Galatians 4, 4 says, at just the right time, Jesus came and was born of a woman under the law that he might redeem those under the law. And so what you need to recognize is he is not delayed. He doesn't have to say, you know what, I I fell behind because of traffic. Or, hey, Jesus would have come sooner had things in heaven been okay, but the devil really messed things up when a third of the angels fell, and so we're behind on productivity here in heaven. No, at just the right time, and in just the right way, the plan of salvation was not delayed, it was not asked to extend a deadline, it was done just as he said it would. And so we need to seek that out. We need to say, God, as I have this little opportunity to model who you are in my everyday life, how do I begin to do it? Now notice what God does. God made us like Him. And because He's a working God, He has created a working people. And I want you to know that God calls us to work not as a curse, not as a curse. In Genesis 2.15, the first job that is given to Adam is to work and keep the garden. He was to work the garden that in turn was going to take care of himself. And so work had a circular nature to it that as you did something, uh, the earth and God's creation would then in return bring something back to you. 
Now, Genesis 2.15, I want you to recognize, takes place before Adam and Eve fall to sin. So for many of you who will go back on Tuesday and say, you know what, why do I have to work? What a curse this work is. I don't want to do it. I don't know why we have to. I wish Adam and Eve wouldn't have sinned because then I wouldn't have to go to work. Here's the problem. It's just not biblically true. Adam was given the task of caring for the garden and working long before sin entered the world. It is not as a curse, but listen, it's a command for our good. You heard it right. Work is a blessing from God for our good. Now that's an offensive statement on a weekend like Labor Day weekend. Work is good. When was the last time you as a follower of Jesus Christ took time to thank God that you have the opportunity to work? Lord, thank you that I get up really, really early in the morning and work my tail off into the evening. Lord, thank you for that. What a blessing. It just sounds weird saying it out loud, right? Lord, thanks that I get to go and and do the same thing over and over and over again, uh, punch out from the same factory or go to the same sales calls. It just doesn't seem right. i got to spend time with the same kids at the same school. It doesn't seem like it would be a blessing, but I want you to know that even though our world says that we are to work for the weekend, that really work is one of the best things God has given us. Now here's why. Work enables us to create things and to relate to the world around us. Work allows us to show our gifts. allows us to show us how God has made us. It allows us to be uh, able to serve those around us. As I go to work, I'm able to provide for my family. I'm able to bring a joy and satisfaction to my customers. But work also is a protection. It keeps us from sin and trouble. I once heard it said that uh, if la- while laziness may not seem to be that big of a sin, if you notice, laziness is one of the causes of all the major sins in the Scriptures. Meaning that you had to have some time to think about and be bored enough to then go about and do the things that you were going to do against God's word and will. My dad used to say this all the time. I would say, Dad, I want want to be able to uh, stay out later. I want a longer uh, curfew. And my dad would say, what good can come with boys who have nothing better to do in the middle of the night? Only trouble. Only trouble. I once read in the Uh, a Wall Street Journal article about the plight of the inner city. And one of the things that they talked about uh, of the reason why the inner city struggles so much with violence and so much with, with crime is not that the inner city is filled with bad people. They're not. They're just like you and I. They're sinful individuals uh, who have been created in the image and likeness of God. Uh, The writer in the article said, the reason I believe why this all happens is because of the lack of true employment in those areas. The ability for able-bodied men and women to be busy working. And so when people sit around, when people don't have things to be able to do, when there's not job opportunities, what do people do? We find ways to get into trouble. And so work is a protection. Think about how boring our lives truly would be if we just sat around and yet God has given all of us the opportunity to work and to serve one another. And so notice this phrase, our, the reason why uh, we need to be laboring. Go back for a moment real quick to the slide. It says, the creation story reminds us, notice it's one big sentence. Our creator wasn't lady, lazy but completed the task before him and now calls us to work not as a curse but as a command for our good some of us need to reacquaint ourselves with that sentence because we have turned work upside down we have made work a curse we have made work something that we try to work our way out of instead of seeing this as an opportunity to shine the light of the gospel of jesus christ not only through our lives, but into the lives of those who are working around us or those who are enjoying the benefits of the hard work we're a part of. So how do we know then if we're lazy? Notice laziness, point number two. Laziness can be detected through a test. We can ask some questions. This question or this test is four questions long. How do we know if we're lazy? The Bible seems to address it, and it does so by using this humorous phrase of this lazy individual, the sluggard. 
In the book of Proverbs, it says that a sluggard is literally hinged to his bed. He, he can't get out of his bed. He can't get out of, of, of uh, just rest and relaxation. And the question is, does that describe us? Are we given to that kind of laziness? Well, we have to ask four questions. Notice in our text this morning, first question comes from verses 9 and 10. Do we extend the deadline? Do we extend the deadline? Notice verse 9 and 10. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. The idea that the writer is writing there is asking the question, when are you going to wake up? It's your mom, teenager, yelling over and over again, Junior, it's time to get up. And then 15, 20 minutes later, hey, honey, it's time to get up. And then the terms of endearment start leaving, hey, you lazy bones, it's time to get up. And the question is, will it be 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock, 11, 12, will we go into the afternoon? How long will you slumber? But it's much broader than that. The question that we have to ask part of this, this passage is, do people have to wait around for you? Do you meet your appointments? Do you hit your deadlines? Do you fulfill your expectations? Or are you one who is chronically late? Always seeking for a bit more time. Just another day, you tell the teacher, and the homework will be done. You tell your boss, give me another week, and I can have that presentation ready. Broken promises that are done by adults and kids alike. How many times as a parent have I told my kids, uh, maybe next week we'll get to that. But dad, you said it would be done this week. Well, I'm sorry, but it got a lot, bu- a lot more busy than I thought it was going to be. And, and I'm just going to have to push that off. How many times have we tried to extend the deadline? Now listen, again, to, to be very careful, and I want you to be sensible people about this, that there are times where the deadline has to be extended. There are times where, where issues come up or, or unseen uh, consequences take place and circumstances where you're unable to accomplish a task. And that's okay. There's, there's a time and a place for us as human beings to say, I could not get done what I was supposed to. But is it out of laziness or out of something else, uh, circumstances that keep you from it? Question number two, not only do you extend the deadline, do you make excuses? Turn in your Bibles to Proverbs 22 for a moment. Proverbs 22. Proverbs 22, verse 13. Proverbs 22, verse 13. The Proverbs, the writer of Proverbs helps us to understand it, and he brings up this guy again, the sluggard, the lazy one. And he says this, the sluggard says, there's a lion outside. I shall be killed in the streets. Now what in the world is he talking about? What does that have to do with anything? The question is, when you have a deadline and you miss it, when you've made a commitment and you fall short of fulfilling that commitment, what is your excuse? The writer of Proverbs says that you are going to blame your lateness or your lack of completing something on something. Something outside of your control. And what the Proverbs writer is saying is is that we will go to great lengths to explain why we are late for something. Why we're late for the meeting. While we're unprepared for ministry. And what will we begin to do? We don't fulfill what we say we're going to, and the deadline has come, and we know we need an extension on the deadline, and so we need to go to great lengths, probably even maybe lying, to be able to cover our tracks, because we don't want anybody to know that it was because I just simply didn't do it. So you're standing before the teacher, and that project, and, and this is how it goes in the Bedal family, we learn about the project that was assigned two weeks ago, two hours before uh, school starts, when the project is supposed to be done. And I know all the excuses come. Well, I left it in my locker. Well, I didn't have time. Well, the teacher isn't being a good teacher and didn't do this, or the teacher didn't explain it well, and I didn't understand it. I know I could have asked 13 days in a row to get some help, but now I'm all concerned because i got to turn this thing in. 
We extend the deadline and we do so by creating excuses. And what's the excuse that the writer of Proverbs says? The writer of Proverbs says, the sluggard says, I can't go to work because there's a lion in the street and he may eat me. That's like the dog ate my homework. It doesn't work. But what he's doing is he's speaking, in in essence, hyperbolically, saying, listen, we go to great lengths to make excuses as to why we uh, should have a uh, an ability to condone our laziness. And so we do it. Oh, the traffic was terrible. The kids, they're unbearable. The, the dog, man, I just, man, I'm so sick and tired of that dog. The car, the car didn't work. It didn't start the right way. The weather, uh, we can come up with all kinds of excuses. But for many of us, the answer isn't the weather, the car, the dog, the kids, your wife, your husband. It's you're lazy. It's because I'm lazy. It's not because there's a lion in the streets. Or we may get away with it. And some of you, listen, some of you have great excuses. You have moved up the corporate ladder by the use of a good excuse. But I want you to know, not only are you cheating others, but you're cheating yourself. And even more importantly, you're cheating God. Because God has called you to be at your best. God has called you to be truthful. God has called you not to be given to exaggeration or stretching of the truth or even lying to be able to excuse laziness. Number three question we have to ask. Do you try to expend as little energy as possible? Do you try to expend as little energy as possible? Turn a couple pages to Proverbs 20, verse 4. Proverbs 20, verse 4. We meet the sluggard again. I want you to know there's nothing positive said about the sluggard, ever. It doesn't say, you know what, the sluggard's got a lot of bad things going for him, but they're a pretty nice guy overall. It's negative. Notice the sluggard, verse 4, does not plow in the autumn. He will seek at harvest and have nothing. When he should have been busy working in springtime... He wasn't. He was given to laziness, not giving his 100%. He had all manner of other decisions that he wanted to be a part of and do. And so he decides, instead of working, I'm going to do other things. And so when he goes out, when it's go time at harvest, he's going to find there's nothing there for him. And that would create great consternation and great trouble because he did not give his 100% all of the time. And when we do that, like I said, we steal from others and we steal from ourselves. When uh, Noah was born, now 13 years ago, uh, Amanda was finishing up her, uh, her year of schooling, and we decided that it was important that she finish up that last year of school. And uh, it was only about a uh, eight or ten week uh, time frame. And I, I had the bold assertion of, of, of saying, listen, I will take care of our newborn son. I will do it. I will take him on catering events. I will take him. We'll go do this. I am a great dad, first father, first time father. I'm clueless to what it means to raise a kid. I'm going to do it. And I remember thinking, there's no way after day one. I almost killed Noah on day one, just so you know. I mean, it was terrible. He had head contusions, all kinds of manner of issues. I'm surprised he even, uh, even likes me now. But I remember one of the things, I, I was lazy. So a man would say, are you make sure you're feeding him at this time and this time and this time? And I'm like, you know what? It's got to be easier than this. And the poor little guy sitting around in his car seat, and I kid you not, Noah never left the car seat all day long. We had put him at the 5B catering shop on a cart, and we'd just wheel him around. He'd go wash the guys, watch the guys washing dishes, and then he'd go and watch us. And we just kept him in the cart, moving him around and all of that. And Amanda would say, you know what, hey, uh, when you feed them, make sure you're burping them and all that. I said, listen, I've got it under control. He had this little mobile uh, that he could look at when he was uh, sitting for 14 straight hours in the car seat. And the mobile had a circle around it. And the circle was a perfect size for the bottle to fit into the, the thing. So visualize with me a little rabbit feeder, okay? And so Noah just had to just arch his newborn neck just a little bit, just to grab a hold of, uh, of the bottle, and then he was just fine. And then I didn't have to feed him. 
I would just put that thing in there and he, man, now you can see why he's got strong neck muscles, you know. And he would feed on on that. I told Amanda, you know, years later that's what happened and she hated my guts. And uh, But why did I do it? Because I wanted to exert as little energy as possible. That's a lazy dad. It's funny, we laugh about it, but it's laziness. And here's the thing. You know what it did? It probably didn't hurt Noah at all, okay? Noah's got his own issues, right? He can deal with a little feeding problem. But listen, you know what I missed out on? In all seriousness, the holding of my son and feeding him and looking to his little face and spending time with him. Why? Because other things were more important. Remember we talked about sacrificing a couple weeks ago, uh, the greater for the lesser? That's what I did because I was a lazy dad. And how often do we do that? That we try to extend as little energy as possible. How little can I do and still get the job done? Some of you are thinking and conspiring right now how you can do as little on that project and still get the customer to be okay with it. That C-plus work is better than A-plus work because you can still do what you want this weekend and the customer won't know any different. You see, as a student in school, I was the last one picked. Oh, maybe not on the athletic field or on the playground, but I was the last one picked in the classroom. When group times were brought together, uh, they would start putting names, you know, you're going to go with so-and-so and you're going to go with so-and-so. And when they say, hey, Bedal, you're going to be with this group, you know what my classmates do? Oh, boy. The guy doesn't do a thing. This guy doesn't try. I loved group work because I didn't have to do anything. They would work really hard and we would all get the same grade. Communism at its best, right? God says whether you're a student or an employee, that's laziness. And here's the crazy thing it's a sin. And so you think, listen, I I don't have to work hard. I don't have to do my best. God says, I did my best. I gave 100%, and I did so for your good. And when you keep from pulling your own weight, when you mooch off of others, you are doing that which is contrary to what God has modeled for each and every one of us. Question number four. Do you expect someone else to get you moving? Verse 7 and 8. Notice the phrase we're back in uh, uh, Proverbs chapter 6, by the way. Proverbs 6, verse 7 and 8. Uh, this is the proverb writer goes, Go to the ants. So get down into the dirt. And look at the, one of the smallest creatures in, in the world. And look at that ant. Observe that ant. Watch what they do, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Notice, without any chief, any officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. They don't have to be managed ants. They've got their job, and every, uh, they don't have to be told every minute detail of what needs to be done. Lazy people you have to do that with. Lazy people you have to say, as soon as you get this done, then get this done. And as soon as that's done, then move to this project. A lazy person doesn't look and say, you know what, I'm going to look at what's going on around me and I'm going to deduce that such and such needs to be completed. I'm going to make sure that I'm going to seek out and see, do others need help around me? Can I go the extra mile with the extra time I have? Maybe the project got done a little sooner. What can I do to make that presentation or that project even better? That when I get the job done early, that I go the extra mile in trying to get it accomplished. And not just for the sake of extra credit, I might add. You see, a lazy individual lives for the moments. The ant, notice the ant, prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. They're thinking long term. Yeah, so I've got it done today, but what can I do to prepare for the future? How do I make sure that I'm accomplishing what needs to be done? They have the long view in mind. They're working for something that is far ahead, and it shows diligence the whole while working in parts. So four symptoms to laziness. Laziness we find in the classroom, 
in the office place, in the sales call, in the home, at the catering shop, or in the pulpit. Laziness is something that we have to seek God and and reconcile. Is it truly laziness in my life? We've seen four symptoms of it. We have to ask these questions this morning. But that's not enough because we need to not be lazy to listen to the last point because living productive lives involves both diligence and trust. Paul tells us that whether we eat or drink, in all things we should do it for the glory of God. That includes all our labors. And the Bible in the New Testament is clear that laziness and the Christian uh, should not be synonymous. We just finished a series out of 1 and 2 Thessalonians. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14, Paul makes it clear, admonish the idle, the lazy, the ones that aren't working, the ones that aren't doing or pulling their own weights. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 6 through 11, he commands against idleness of church members. We're given a set of parables by Jesus who speaks of our diligence in stewardship like the parable of the talents, taking what God has given and not digging a hole and putting it there so you can go about your life. But uh, multiplying what God has given us, creating opportunities to do more for God and His kingdom through hard work. So that when the Master comes, He doesn't call us a worthless servant, but a good and faithful one. But two things need to be understood. First of all, we need to understand God's sovereignty. We need to understand God's sovereignty. This message can sound like try a lot harder and do more type of message. And in some ways that's true. Some of us need to roll up our sleeves and we need to work a little harder than we are right now. But I want to remind you that sometimes you can work your tail off and it doesn't mean all will go well with you. There have been weeks in my life where I've rolled up my sleeves and worked dozens upon dozens of hours only to see that I'm more behind at the end of the week than I was at the beginning of the week because circumstances and issues have fallen upon me. And we need to recognize that God is sovereign in those things. Some of you right now are feeling convicted because right now you're falling behind on a project And your boss is on you about the project that needs to be done. And you've worked your tail off. And now your pastor is saying, listen, you're being lazy. No, it may be that your boss gave you more than you could ever take on in the time frame that he was given. Some of you students are dealing with with projects and and papers already in your school year. And the problem is it's a perfect storm where all your teachers have now given you this huge workload. And you're trying to get it done. But you're falling behind. I want you to recognize that it is there that you have to give yourself to God's sovereignty. I'm going to work hard, but in those moments, God, i got to trust that what I do, where I study, that it's going to be worthwhile. The time I put into this project or presentation, that it will get done. How often have you gone and studied very hard for a test, and the test has been placed before you, and everything that you spend hours studying is absent on the test? In those moments, you've got to trust God. God, I know I need to study. God, I, I would do the same thing all over again, and I'm just going to trust you that maybe you're going to teach me something about failing. Maybe you're going to teach me about something of suffering because I didn't get it, because roadblocks came along the way. We've got to trust God in those moments. But notice, with God's sovereignty comes also our responsibility. Let me close with this. 1 Corinthians 15.58 says that we are to abound in the work of God, not to be lazy. And that's seen in three areas that we have to explore. And I need to land this quickly because we're out of time. Write these down. We need to be responsible when it comes to our work. So when we think about laziness, we need to ask ourselves the question of, how am I as an employee? How am I as an employer? How am I doing when I leave this place, Village Bible Church, and go to the workplace? The question, next question we have to ask is, how am I doing in my walk? How am I doing as a parent? Am I lazy as a parent? Am I lazy as a spouse? Am I lazy as a neighbor? Am I lazy as a community member? Or do people, when they see you, say, that, that, that guy, he's working hard. That, that lady, she's working hard. She's always busy serving others and making sure everything is done in an orderly manner. How about in your worship? In your worship? 
How lazy are you with regards to your devotions, to your prayer life, to outreach? How many of you, and this will hit you right between the eyes, how many of you gave up on this sermon five minutes into it? You're just like, you know what, I can't do it. And so you've been doing all other manner of thinking about things. How lazy are you in your attendance with regards to church, your giving, your service? You see, we need to be confronted by our sin of laziness. And maybe your laziness has impacted you through neglect. You've lost a marriage. Through neglect, you've lost a relationship. Through neglect, you've lost job opportunities or schooling opportunities. Maybe through neglect, you've missed out on opportunities to share your faith. Well, this passage should remind us that we are called to something greater than laziness. Let me remind you, Jesus himself could have been lazy. Jesus could have given up. Jesus could have said, this is too hard. This is too much, Father. I'm giving this up. I'm not going to do it. But I want to remind you that three of the most powerful words that we have ever heard are the phrase, it is finished. Jesus finished the project. Jesus finished the task. And he did so by showing us that he wasn't lazy. And here's the thing. For all you sluggards and all you sloth out there, you and I, in our laziness, can find the love and forgiveness because Jesus wasn't lazy. And that blood that he shed on the cross and that empty tomb allows our sin and the debt of our laziness to be covered. And he now empowers us to live differently. So leave this place on a Labor Day weekend living like God, being creative, being hardworking for the glory of God and for our good so that we might serve Him better and serve others around us and experience the blessing for ourselves. Let's pray. Father God, we come before You, Lord, and we could spend a lot more time on this, but we'll end here. And Lord, I just thank You for Your modeling of what it is to be productive. Your modeling of what it means not to be lazy. I'm so thankful that though you endured great trouble, great turmoil within your spirit and physical torment, that you endured the cross. You scorned its shame. And so, Lord, I pray that even when the going gets tough, we would get going. And that we would do the work that is set before us, even at times when it's difficult, even at times when it hurts. So that one day, Lord, we may be able to look you in the eye and hear the words, well done, good and faithful servants. That we might then, and only then, enjoy the full rest of our labors. So Lord, wherever we find ourselves this morning, I pray that we would be challenged by those questions that the book of Proverbs draws out. And we would test our laziness. And we would confess that as sin and seek your forgiveness, and seek your spirit that can empower us to complete the work that you lay before us. So Lord, send us forth from this place to be productive followers of yours, taking the uh, most of every opportunity that you lay before us, so that we may honor you in all that we say and do. Thank you again for the time where we can rest from our labors. Thank you for a country that shows us that it is good to take a day and to remember the work that has been done. So let us enjoy this Monday. Let us enjoy the opportunity to look at what we've done in this last year and with great um, joy in our heart, get ready to work again on Tuesday and to serve our bosses, to serve our teachers and our communities to the glory of God. We love you and give you the glory for it. And thank you for the truth of your scriptures that lead and guide us. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.